Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice of chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label. And for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. You know, and then I try to look at that uh, the tasting color wheel deal, and I never get what they always say is in there, but that's the best part of coffee because it's about what you taste. It's not about what everybody else tastes. You could taste something that's completely different than somebody else, but if that's what you like, that's what you like. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. You may know Jimmy Butler from the basketball court. He's an NBA superstar and almost single-handedly beat the Boston Celtics in last year's Eastern Conference Finals. The shot just missed, and it was quite, quite the shot. But I wanted to talk to Jimmy not just about that shot we do get into it, but about his love of coffee. I had this charming and inquisitive superstar on the show to talk about specialty coffee. And in this very cool episode, we dive into his intense interest in the field of coffee, how it's grown, how it's roasted, how it's sold, sometimes for over $100 a bag. And we talk about his new company, Big Face Coffee, and how he plans to bring a new generation of coffee drinkers into the fold. Now, while I'm a ride-or-die Brooklyn Nets fan, it was a real pleasure getting to know one of my favorite NBA players on and off the court. I hope you really enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Taste Podcast. Uh, thank you for having me on the Taste Podcast. I appreciate it. So I, I want to jump in. And my first big question is coffee. Why should we care about it more than other beverages? Um, because I think coffee is one thing that like so many people have in common um, that you legit without a doubt don't realize how much you actually have in common with somebody. It really is the one thing that you can sit down and just have a a crazy conversation about whatever it is at whatever time of whatever day. Mm-hmm. And then you realize like, I guess you're right. I guess we do got this in common. I guess this is what's going on in the world. I guess my sister does have the same color hair. Just like, it's just, it's like mm-hmm. a never ending conversation between just good people. And that's what, why you should care and why you should drink some coffee. I'm so happy you say people because coffee is people from the barista to the farmer and everywhere in between. And I feel like you, uh, with your high profile and somebody who is into coffee and have your own company, you're addressing something that's so important in coffee is that it's there's humans making coffee. Yeah, I think people always get lost in how many people it actually takes to make a really good product. And I even look at it when I, I look at the sense of, myself as a brand, as the Jimmy Butler brand. So many people just see the finished product, the yeah. game seven miss at the buzzer, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it was bad, but what about all the good moments that led up to that? Like all the training that I have, um, the assistant that I have, the people helping me run my, my coffee. Um, and then, you know, you're, you're talking about the branding side of everything. Like there's so many people that helped the Jimmy Butler brand become the best. Same thing goes for however you are going to have your coffee from a latte, cappuccino, V60, drip, name it. There is a a barista that's making it. um, And that's just, you know, you don't got somebody pulling the shot and then somebody steaming the milk, somebody that's weighing the water, like all the way down to the farmers and how that um, um, particular fruit was dried and picked by hand and da-da-da-da-da. There's so much that goes into a perfect cup. And I think that's the most wonderful part about coffee is like there's so many people. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing that. And by the way, because you brought it up, the shot was the right shot. So I really wanted it to land in game seven. So I'm just going to say that right now. I appreciate so, <laughs> that. You got to go I, for the win. You did. And you, I, it was going in. I mean, I, lo- I, love the, I love the shot. I love you as an athlete. And I love you as a coffee fan because you just use the word V60. And like, I don't think anyone in the NBA, maybe KD, because I think he's into this kind of stuff too, but really no one's saying the word V60. Brewing oh. apparatus from Japan. I love that you're into this. What what geeks you out about actually brewing coffee? Oh man, just there's just so many ways to do it. 
And like, there, there's no wrong cup of coffee. It's all about how you prefer it. Um, and so I just like the fact that I get the opportunity to, to try so many different ways of, um, of making coffee. It, it literally amazes me because you can never know enough about it. You can never perfect that craft, but it's all about trying to be as consistent as you can every single day. And um, I can't wait to like open my own cafe and, and practice that and bring my little bit of knowledge and, and my professionalism to coffee to everybody. Are you going to be having a pour over station and have espresso? Do you have like a setup in mind for your cafe when you open it up? Like what's I, the perfect Jimmy Butler cafe, big face oh, cafe? It's going to have everything. Every single way you can make coffee, I'm going to find a way to have it there. Um, I, nice. I want to have stations to where people can, you know, make their own coffee as well and try to simplify it to a T because then I really think you'll start to understand when you actually get your hands dirty a little bit or how difficult it really is to make a product that everybody wants. Like you gotta, you gotta pull the right amount at the right time. And like, it's just, it's crazy when I, I see people eyeballing this, like, <laughs> oh, well, you know, no, no, no. In, 40 out. It's just like, look, man, y'all got it. Okay. Just please <laughs> help me to figure this out. Um, so any and every types of coffee, but I definitely want people to be able to see it and maybe even try it themselves. You tapped into something so important, which is precision. I mean, I'm a 16 to one on the, on the Chemex side. Makes sense. I think, you know, I like that extraction level and I feel like you're going to taste good coffee and you're going to taste average coffee and you're going to taste not so great coffee when you're extracting at a uniform level. Like what can we tell our listeners about weighing coffee? Why is it so important? Because I think a lot of people think it's, it's a waste of time or it's too complicated, but you clearly weigh your coffee, right? No, I definitely weigh my coffee. Um, and I don't, I can't tell you the exact answer. I'm just listening and asking all the right questions to the, the many baristas that come over to my house and make me coffee and t- how to make coffee. So thank you to all those individuals who have to put up with me asking them 10,000 questions per minute on why and how we're doing this. So to me, from what I can tell, when you're measuring um, coffee, and it is different um, depending upon what bean you're using, how if it's, you know, a natural wash, process, honey wash, like there's just so many different variables that make you use more, use less, more water. And like I say, I just have so much respect for people that um, know coffee like that. I was in, um, where was I just at? I was in Switzerland and I had a box of, of, of Big Face coffee beans and I handed it over to somebody and they're like, where's your coffee from? And uh, I said, Ethiopia. And whenever they looked in the bag, they were like, no, there's no way this is from Ethiopia. I was like, nope, I'm pretty sure I know where my beans are from. Definitely Ethiopia. And he was like, no, the beans are too big. And I was like, man, please, all coffee beans look the same. And then when I went back in my notes, the beans were actually from Honduras. And I was like, wow. He could tell where the beans were from or where they weren't from just because of the size of the bean. Had no oh, idea. My. So those land-raised coffees, those, those like net wild coffees in Ethiopia, they're so unique. There's some of the most delicious coffees in the world. And honestly, when you say naturally processed, that makes me so happy. When you talk about naturally processed coffee, what are you tasting, Jimmy? What are you, what are you tasting in the cup? Now, this is one thing I'm not afraid to admit. Half the time, I don't know. But I can tell you when I when I taste fruit and when I can smell yeah. flour. You know, and then I try to look at that uh, the tasting color wheel deal. And I yeah. never get what they always say is in there. But that's the best part of coffee because... It's about what you taste. It's not about what everybody else tastes. You could taste something that's completely different than somebody else, but if that's what you like, that's what you like. Um, So I I love like a light roasted coffee where I can really taste the fruitfulness of it, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and can smell the flowers. I mean, I just feel like I'm in heaven when I'm having a V60 and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can smell the cinnamon. Like, I don't think there's there's a better place for me than sitting there just smelling and, and, and tasting oh, yeah. coffees. I, I, your zero ego approach to coffee is refreshing because I think a lot of people try to explain that they know with certainty what a flavor is. No one knows. Yeah, no, no one knows. No. Come on. <laughs> like, we, we, we talk about that all the time <laughs> around the household. Yeah. And we don't mean to step on anybody's toes. No. But I think, you know, 
the way that people judge coffees to me, um, I'm not a professional, so I can't say what is good and what is bad. I can only tell you what's good and what's bad in my opinion. And what's bad to me might be good to you. And that's okay. We can sit down and talk about it. That's why that coffee is what coffee is. You have your cup, I'll have my cup, and we'll talk about what we have in common. So I got a question. So Big Face sells premium coffee at pretty premium prices. Like mm-hmm. these are not cheap coffees, and I respect a, a really aggressive pricing structure. I think coffee should have a lot of value, um, and it does have a lot of value. But my question is, have you thought about ways of bringing coffee, great coffee, to more people, meaning a more competitive pricing model? Uh, we have, but it, it's like anything else that is the best, like it just has a higher price point. And I'm not, I'm not doing it to like step on any toes. I promise you I'm not. I'm always trying to make it make sense. And I'm always trying to make big face brand and not just the coffee for everybody, whether it be the hats, the merch, the the cups, mm-hmm. the socks, the hat, the visors, like it just goes on and on. Um, but that that coffee is is that good and that much research and that much traveling and 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 figuring out what being we want um the big face brand to have and and, and represent there's a lot that goes into that and i think that that yep. price point explains it a little bit and i hope everybody understands it and i really hope that everybody tries it so you get the opportunity to realize that this is the best product on the market. Definitely. I mean, you're definitely hopefully paying the farmers a fair price too, and it goes all down the the chain. Um, Let me ask you about, you created Big Face in the bubble, famously in the 2020 NBA bubble down in Florida. You're playing down there. You're playing under pretty tough circumstances. You created a cafe down there. I'd like to know, so who who are the coffee heads in the NBA? Because you were all living in hotels. You were, you know, you had a lot of spare time. Who came into your cafe? Who are some of the players? Um... I mean, I'm a. I only want to serve uh, guys that I go to war with every day. So <laughs> almost everybody from the Miami Heat was in that bad baby, and I was charging them and expecting a, a big tip. Otherwise, I wasn't going to play the next day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was always going to play. Um, I love it. <laughs> but you know, nowadays you see everybody walking into the arena uh, with a coffee cup, coffee mug in their hand, or you know, you pay attention to them on Instagram. They're you know, morning of the game, morning of shoot around, morning of practice, they got coffee. They're having coffee, looking out at the, their city. Um, they stay by the water at the water. Coffee is a big thing now. And, you know, everybody's trying to have a a nice yeah. cup, a good cup. And hopefully one of these days um, you see the NBA times big face coffee times the big face brand. And we're bringing the best coffee to, you know, some of the best athletes in the world. Well, I see you having a cup in competition during NBA all-star weekend. I just see it in the future. It's going to happen. Um, I do want that to happen, but what I also want to have is a big face barista brawl. Nobody throwing yes. punches now. It's not about throwing punches. <laughs> it's about throwing that latte art on the top of some um, big face coffee beans and some, some ghost town oat milk. Let's, let's make this happen. I respect that. I respect that. I feel like uh, the NBA is made for coffee. So I got to ask you, 7.30 p.m. start on the East Coast. How, what's your coffee routine? Like, are you getting to the arena and having an espresso? Are you doing a pour over like 30, 90 minutes before shoot around? Like, what's the routine? My routine is I'm for sure going to have probably two to three cups of coffee uh, before I even leave for shoot around. For sure, have one after shoot around when I get in, play some dominoes, play some spades, mm-hmm. chase my bad child around, um, have another cup. And then right before the arena, um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a cappuccino in, and then I'm going to probably get a V60 to go. And Ooh, this year, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start making um, more like cappuccinos and lattes whenever I get to the arena because we do have one of our machines in like the little players lounge. So I'm going to make a lot for myself and for anybody else that wants something to help me hone in on my craft before I go out there and score nine points. Nine points? Yeah. I mean, you're an assist. You you, you do dish a lot and you're a triple-double kind of guy. I think nine's a little light. All right, but I'm just. Team, All right, team. fair, fair enough. Fair. We'll go trip. We'll go triple double. Okay. Are fair. you are you dairy free or are you going full milk with your uh, lattes? I'm dairy free. I, I love nice oat milk. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll do any type, but I will tell you that um, Ghost Town Oats is mm-hmm. the best oats that there is. I'm, I'm guaranteeing it. I'm calling it now. Be hmm. on the lookout. So I want to know how can I buy your coffee because it seems to be sold out quite often. 
I'd like to know what, like, are you doing drops every month? Because I want our listeners to definitely check this out because it's Mm -hmm. great coffee. It's delicious. I've tasted it. It's great coffee. Uh, Yeah, we we are sold out a lot of the times, but we're trying to get more and more um, premium product to the market. The only, the hardest part of it is I want to be able to go there to the farms and pick it myself, try it there, talk to the farmers, because what people don't know is, yes, it's really good coffee. But there's always a premium story in why us at Big Face, the Big Face brand, chose this lot of coffee and um, this geisha, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a story why we chose this one over that one. And um, I always want to be able to tell a story with with coffee and, and tell the story of these wonderful farmers that have helped us in so many ways. And I cannot wait to help them back um, whenever we get that opportunity. So. You know, the only chance that I really get to do that is in the off season. So we're trying to visit yeah. as many uh, different coffee farms in as many different countries as we can to pick that premium product with the premium story. Couple closing questions. I love that you've been to Origin. Going to Origin is a rite of passage for any coffee professional or fan, and many don't even make it there, unfortunately. But you've gone to Origin a couple times. Where have you visited? Which farms or um, countries? I have visited. Where did I go this summer? Colombia. Um, yeah, and I've, I'm telling you, I butcher everybody's name. I believe it's called La Paz. Um, yeah. It's a farm in Nareno, I believe. And then I just remember I, El Parala, El Toucan. I remember El Toucan. Um, I'm probably okay. saying it wrong. Um, yeah. We went there with Onyx. They showed a lot of love. They've been helping us throughout this process. We're very, very grateful of Onyx. And um, I cannot wait. We went to, oh, you know what? We went to Ecuador as well. Oh, beautiful. What a delicious coffee from Ecuador. Most amazing coffees from there. Oh, and I, I bought an amazing coffee from Ecuador and I'm drawing a blank. I'm drawing a blank. Um, but no, that'll, that'll, that'll be coming to the market as well. And I cannot wait to get to Ethiopia, Guatemala, um, Brazil, obviously, um, Peru. There's just so many places I want to go and obviously see the, the culture but for sure, mm-hmm. be there for the coffee and pick some coffee during season. Yeah, are you are you training while you're down there too? You're you're famously very 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 intense with your training. I am. Thing. I yeah. um I love training just like I love coffee. And yeah, you can find a gym. You can find me at outdoor basketball court where I get to go <laughs> play with the locals. I'm always for that. I actually did that in um I did that in Ecuador. I did it in Switzerland and in Amsterdam yeah. when I was just there. Um, I, I love coffee. I love good people. And I think we all know that I love the and you love the hoop. basketball. I do you love, love the, the hoop. hoop. I do you love sure the hoop. You sure do. Your season's going to be great. Do you have a prediction? How are you guys going to do? Uh, what, what do you think I'm going to say? How are we going to do? Uh, good, good answer. We don't need to go. <laughs> I mean, it's, it was close last year. I, I think you're going to get over the hump. Ooh, I'm a, I'm a I like ne- that. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a Nets season ticket there. holder. I'm a Brooklyn Nets guy. So I, I have to, I have to say their season's going to be pretty good. I, uh, you know what? I hope so. I just hope it's not as good as ours. I agree. I was in the seats in 2018 when you, you hit a, a game winning three. I was, I was close. I have that on my Instagram. I'm oh, very, yeah. And so you were probably a, also there whenever I got suspended a game whenever I was in Philly <laughs> for fighting. Yeah. I so think I'm just gonna I blame have, you for that. Oh, I think I may have seen. I love that Philly season you had. All right, so Jimmy, we ask all guests on Taste Podcast if you could write a cookbook or food culture book or a coffee book without the burden of time, meaning you have unlimited, no deadline, and you have burden of budget, meaning you have unlimited money. I don't mm-hmm. think you have to worry about money, but I'm just <laughs> saying you have unlimited money. What would that book be? Um, the book would be titled um, um, "Is Lonely at the Top." <laughs> memoirs of the big face brand. And I, I, I say that because I don't think a lot of people really understand um, how important specialty coffee is. And I, I know it's going to pick up. I know it's going to pick up. I know the big face brand is going to sell coffee for a hundred dollars a cup one of these days. And I'm going to make it make sense. It's not going to be because it's a hundred dollars. It's going to be because it is $100. It's worth $100. Is that good that you're going to be like, you know what? Like anything else that's just top of line and premium, you'll pay a, a, a high tag for it. Um, so that's it. And I'll have like every single individual 
in that book that has helped me along the way. You'll probably be in there as well because I, I appreciate the that first podcast I've done about my love for coffee. And I can I, stay I, on this podcast all day now that I think about it, but I'm sure they don't want to hear me rant. I would love to have you on again. And honestly, Jimmy, if you can give, if you can sell a coffee for a hundred dollars a cup, and you can get the farmer a well, or get the farmer some books, or get we're the farmer, it. we're on it. Like, I'm, like we're, if I'm telling you, we're we're ahead of you. We're ahead of you. I promise. We're we're on it. I mean, that's all that matters. And you're really on your way. And I I just respect the hell out of what you're doing. I hope more celebrities and athletes take your lead and 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 really cherish coffee for what it is, which is a incredible product. Um, and I thank you for your time. No, I, I appreciate you. And I just remember um, you asking how you can get the coffee. So, you know, yeah. October 1, International Coffee Day, um, the Big Face brand website is relaunching once again, all new merch, some new coffee. Um, so go check that out. It'll be a um, it'll be a big year for um, Big Face Coffee, the Big Face brand, and also for the Miami Heat. So I appreciate you. <laughs> I appreciate you too. Thank you, Jimmy Butler. I appreciate your time. Have a good one. Thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. All right. Ashley Rodriguez, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. It's really cool to speak with you, and I. I I, uh, I've admired your work for a long time. I saw on the Zoom that you have a nice coffee in, in front of you. What, what are you drinking right now? Just have to ask for it. I knew jump. that you were going to ask me this right when we started. <laughs> and I even thought I need to go find out what I'm drinking. And I did not do that. I, I, I feel like there's like a joke. And I think Master of None that like Aziz and Starry Netflix uh, show where there's like a messy boo and like a neat boo. And I'm the messy boo in our relationship. So my partner wakes up. Hours before I do, he makes coffee and he brings it to me and I don't ask any questions. <laughs> what a great guy. Tell me, oh, that's, it's a cold brew. Is it, is it it's co- hot, coffee. hot coffee over it's ice? It's hot coffee. So we have a ratio six brewer, which is this really yeah. beautiful brewer. I wrote about it for Serious Eats. I did a review of all these different home coffee brewers and it's just like this really excellent, beautiful brewer. It doesn't look like anything else. So it's coffee from that. It's most definitely a single origin coffee. I'm not sure where it's from. Um, and I couldn't guess because I'm not that good at tasting, uh, which is something that we'll talk about. Yeah, we will. I think you're you're being modest. Uh, is there is there a, a coffee company that you think it's from, or do you have like a rotation right now that could come from a number of coffee companies? Uh, a lot of coffees that we drink are probably from Ruby Coffee Roasters. My partner Jesse, who I mentioned. Is, is currently working for Ruby. He's actually also transitioning over to Serious Eats. He's going to be doing product reviews for them, which is really exciting. Um, but we have a lot of coffees, obviously, from Ruby. We're in Wisconsin. Ruby is in central Wisconsin. But I also am part of this project called the Matchbook Coffee Project, where we work with roasters from all over the U.S. And we've even done a couple of international releases. And will basically give roasters like complete creative control over a coffee, like choose whatever you want, roast it however you want and present it however you want. So we do that once a month and sometimes those coffees kind of come in. So that's often in the rotation as well. I love it. And and shout out to Ruby. It's such a great, it's in Madison, Wisconsin, where you're based, but I know they're in central Wisconsin. I went to college there. What a great Midwestern coffee company. I really love Ruby. I've tasted a lot of their coffees. My friend Jeremy sent me a bunch for my birthday, and I love. And you've sent me some too, so it's great. Yeah, it's a wonderful place. So let's go. Let's talk about Boss Barista because I wanted to get into what you're doing there. It's a podcast. It's a newsletter. You do social impact work. In your words, what is Boss Barista? Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> I feel like I've been trying to figure out the like one liner, like the elevator pitch for Boss Barista for the last five years I've been doing it. But, uh, so essentially Boss Barista is, it started as a podcast, um, and it looks at parts of coffee that maybe you wouldn't obviously think are about coffee. So not necessarily about brewing coffee, not necessarily about, you know, kind of the the nitty gritty of like the bean itself, but kind of all the social ramifications around coffee. I think coffee besides tea is the single most drank beverage in the world. And there that means that there's a lot of implications about how we enjoy this beverage, who is affected by 
the way coffee is sold. Uh, coffee is a relic of colonialism. It's extracted from one place and brought to another. So how does that impact the way that we view coffee? And then also there's, you know, the tropes of coffee is too expensive. Uh, this coffee shop is moving into my neighborhood and causing gentrification. There's just so many ways that coffee affects our lives. And I wanted to have more conversations with people who maybe their work didn't necessarily hearken that it was about coffee, but everything that they're, they're talking about the culture surrounding coffee, they had something to say about it. So I started Boss Barista in 2017 as a podcast. And then in 2019, I started the newsletter taking a lot of the lessons that I was learning in the episodes and extrapolating outward and really just using it honestly as a way for myself to explore things that I hadn't read about or explore things that I was like, Oh, this is interesting. Maybe one other person will find it interesting. Maybe I should write it down. So it's kind of been like the ultimate lesson for myself really. And it's been cool that other people like maybe want to hear that stuff too. I love it. You talk about lesson because I, you didn't, you know, start in coffee as your initial career. You you were a school teacher in New York City, and you transitioned to coffee after leaving that job in education. Um, so I'd like to hear a little bit about your transition from education to taking your first barista job and then entering this world in 2010 that you clearly you've studied, you've written about, you've been an editor of Barista Magazine, you have a, a long resume, but you haven't always had that knowledge. No. So I graduated from college in 2009 and I was dead set on becoming a teacher. That was kind of the pathway that I had been on for a long time. And I moved to New York. I did a program called New York City Teaching Fellows, which is is similar to Teach for America. People are familiar with that. And we essentially did like eight weeks of like hardcore teacher training. And then they threw us into a classroom. Um, maybe not the most sustainable model, um, a very overwhelming process. And I taught for a year and over the summer I met this person who I'm not even like close with now, but that summer I spent a lot of time with this person and I wasn't teaching. I had the summer off. That person had saved like money. So we would just like hop around to different coffee shops. And eventually my friend who I basically spent the entire summer with as like, you know, 23 year olds do where you become best friends for like a summer and then you never see each other again. Um, I love it. He was like, I ran out of money. I'm going to go get a job at a coffee shop. And I remember hearing just like that sentence. Like I can remember the moment where he said that to me. I remember where we were sitting. Matt, you you know New York a little bit. I was at a coffee shop called El Bait on Bedford and like North 8th Street in Williamsburg. And I was drinking ice cream. Yeah, and this is 2010. Yep. Yeah, different Bedford different then. Different Bedford a little then. Cooler. But like it a little was cooler of, then. I, it's, it's just like, you know those moments where like you can just like burn in your memory? Like I remember that moment so saliently because he said that to me and I was like, that sounds so much better than teaching. I need to not do this anymore. And so I remember I left the coffee shop. I went up to my school. I asked, I like, I I sent an email to the principal just making sure he was there. And I quit that day. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. And to my principal's credit, he was like, you need to fuck around for a while. Like you're too young for this. Mm -hmm. So he was, he was very cordial and very gracious about, about me quitting. And I was like, oh, well, my friend is going to go work at a coffee shop. Like I'll just apply for a job at a coffee shop too. And I applied to a couple of different coffee shops and I had no experience. I had never worked like a food service job before. I'd worked in retail before when I was in high school and a bunch of places uh, turned me down. And then I ended up working at like a mini chain in Times Square, like right off the corner yeah. of Times Square. So I got kind of- Oh, like like near 1515 Broadway MTV Studios? Oh yeah, yeah. Times Square. Yeah, like I, on my <laughs> on my 30 minute breaks, I would like go to Forever 21 and just like walk around like that huge Forever 21, like in Times Square just to like kill time. Like I was right there. Um, so yeah, so that was the first, the first job that I took. Um, and it really wasn't because I was like, I love coffee. It was literally just my friend saying, I'm going to go work in a coffee shop. And to me at that point in my life, like I, I needed something to change. What was your baseline knowledge at that point? Like, like you had said that summer you'd spent drinking coffee and hanging out. Um, I mean, did you know the difference between a blend and a single origin? Had you, had you actually weighed out coffee and done a pour over at that point in 2010 or what was your, what was your kind of background? Um, no, none of that. I, <laughs> when I was in college, I knew, so I went to college in Chicago and 
I, I kind of knew that there was differences in quality. So my university had like, I think 13 different coffee shops on campus and I knew which ones served intelligentsia coffee since this was like 2007, 2008, 2009. And I knew enough to be able to discern that that was like the good coffee. So I would go to those coffee shops specifically, but I still probably put milk and sugar in all my coffee. I wouldn't have known any difference between like what I was being served. Like, was I getting a blend one day and a single origin another day? Absolutely not. I wouldn't have known that at all. Um, and I didn't really know what like a menu looked like. So I remember my first couple of trainings, my manager, like, you know, took a cup and wrote down like an L is for a latte. A latte has a shot of espresso and steamed milk. A cappuccino has a little more steamed milk and this many shots. Like I remember going through that process and thinking, oh my God, how am I going to remember any of this? Oh, wow. Yeah, it must have been. But it's trial by fire. You're thrown into the world. And I want to hear about the the life of the barista uh, because, you know, I'd like to hear about why that job is so difficult. Like you watch service, uh, you walk into a busy coffee shop at 830 in the morning or even whenever at noon and it's busy and it's difficult and there's customers who are not cool and um, so much respect, but it's also such a satisfying job. I imagine I've, I've not worked as a barista, but I, I really enjoy coffee and writing about it for also shouts to intelligentsia too. Nice, nice mention there. But, uh, tell us about the, the role of the barista right now. Um, so I'll start with the positive and I will, I've talked about this before in my podcast and I think our friend, Nigel Price, who's been on my show, who you've interviewed too, has also talked about this too. Like coffee, in a way, saved me. I don't want to say saved my life or anything like that, but I am a fundamentally different person because of working in coffee. And it's not necessarily coffee itself. I would say it's more the role of the barista. I think for a long time, I thought that my life had this very linear trajectory. Like I was going to go to college. I was going to achieve these things. I was going to go to to teach and I was going to teach for a couple of years and go to law school. That was like a very common trajectory for almost everyone I went to college with. And I had never considered like where I fit in, in that, like, what do I actually like? What does it mean to interact with people? What does it mean to sit in myself and think like, like, who am I? And I know that these are like kind of nebulous questions, but I think that like, I had never really been, I'd never thought about my life as something like that could, I could totally own in a way. Like I thought it was just like achievement after achievement, after achievement, after achievement. So, and those first couple of like shifts behind the bar really hard. I remember my first full shift behind the bar. And I remember thinking my feet have never hurt so much in my entire life. Cause I don't think I'd ever stood for that long. And you're right. Like being a barista is really hard. I think that there's this expectation that like things come fast, they come quickly, they come correct. And when they don't come in that kind of order, like correct and fast and all of that, that we're entitled to be upset about it. But let's also get real about what your your mindset when you're going for coffee. It's like, obviously in the morning, this is a drug we're talking about and you've had withdrawal symptoms potentially. So you're really like jonesing for that first cup or you're like rushing between A and B and C and you need something to like pick you up. So the, the 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 customer at a at a coffee shop is not like the customer at other restaurants and food food you know organizations or food businesses. No, exactly. Like people come to you and they need something quickly, and it's often like you're probably getting people at their worst possible moment of their day, <laughs> but you're maybe giving them the best possible thing they're going to get in that day. So, like you were saying, like it's not like another interaction. It's not like a restaurant where you're kind of like slowed through the process, you know, like you, you go to the host stand, you take a seat, like there's a whole process and there's a whole like acclimation point, but coffee shops aren't like that. And I think what you said about a a different interaction or having a different interaction than you would in normal, in most like normal, like spaces, um, really taught me a lot of empathy for people. And it really taught me to like, not take things personally. Like people are going to come to you and they're going to be jerks and that's okay. Like that's about them. It's not about you. And there's a way for you to kind of take control of this situation. So like one of the lessons that I learned as a teacher and like so many of the lessons I learned as a teacher come up constantly through coffee is that like, I can't change other people by just like wishing them to be different, but I can change me. 
And one of the things that I really started to do, especially in that Times Square Cafe, just because we served so many people every day, was I would like kind of change my cadence a little bit. Like I'd be like really, really bubbly or I'd try to like match people's energy. And that really helped me forge connections with people. And another thing that like I think people forget about coffee and barista work is that like besides your family and maybe your coworkers, like you probably see your barista, if you get coffee anywhere between like twice a week to every day, like you see your barista probably more than you see most people. So there really is like kind of a beautiful way or like opportunity to forge connection um, that I'd never really considered before until I started working coffee. That's one of the the beautiful you know, elements of this role, right, is the community that you build with your customers. Is there other elements of the barista work that maybe us as as consumers, we don't see that are quite satisfying? I think the idea that I get to make something and you get to drink it immediately is like hugely gratifying. There is very few jobs that you get to see people enjoy a thing that you make immediately. Like even in a restaurant, if you're a cook, like unless you like go out into the dining room and get to see people like the dining room, and the kitchen are often very separate and maybe you'll get feedback from that table or whatever. But I imagine oftentimes you don't, but like people will come have a drink and like tell you immediately, or they'll have a drink, come back the next day and tell you like, Oh, that was really good. I don't know. There's not a lot of places where we get to have that like very tangible visceral experience. Absolutely. What a great point about that. It it really is immediate service, but it's also immediate craft service. It's not like you're reheating a sandwich and just putting it on a plate. I mean, you're like actually creating something really beautiful and we can get into what coffee is, what makes great coffee. But like, I I, want to stress that point because it's so smart. It's like, you are giving someone instant beauty, instant gratification. And in food, you know, you order and it takes 25, 30 minutes usually rarely are you getting that instant gratification. So thank you for pointing that out. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about coffee in general. I want to get into like methodology and how you taste coffee. I've written quite a bit about coffee. We've had a coffee issue on taste a couple years ago and I'll link to that in the show notes. And and I think one thing that I, in, in writing about coffee over the years, that something that I really like to think about is having a consistent method to taste coffee. When you're buying different coffees and then coffees are being sent to you, you oftentimes um, are tasting differences, but the only way to taste those differences is to have a consistent method. So I wanted to get into your own method. How do you judge coffees when you're getting a bag from Intelligentsia or from Ruby or for Yes Please or for Blue Bottle or something from Nigel serving at Drip in New York? How are you grading these in your mind? Yeah, totally. So going back to the idea of like all the lessons I learned as a teacher, I was a math and science teacher. And one of the things that they really instilled in me when I was doing the teacher training before I walked into the classroom is that science is not a subject, science is a methodology. And they really ingrained in us the idea that we are teaching students the scientific method. We are teaching students how to approach problem solving, um, which I'm eternally grateful for because coffee is like the most accessible science project you can do at home. You can Hmm, brew- So good, so So true. It's true, like you can brew a cup of coffee, you can taste it, you can change one variable, you can taste it again and and try to figure out like, oh, okay, if I change the grind setting, this is what it tastes like. If I change how much water I use, this is what it tastes like. So like you said, having a really consistent methodology to start is really important as you would in any science experiment. It's important to have a control method. It's important to have something that you do every time that you understand fundamentally so that when you do change one of those variables, you can go back and say, I changed X and this affected Y. So the brew method that I usually use to evaluate coffee, and I developed this, I was working for this coffee service called Craft Coffee in New York, and I think they still exist. Um, Very different now. But they would have baristas come in and they would have us all evaluate coffees. They would just like label them A, B, C, D, E, F. And we would taste them, write our notes, and then they would use our notes to choose the coffees that they were serving every month. So I would brew a coffee on this thing. It's called a Kalita Wave. So it has a flat bottom um, as opposed to like a cone shape, like you'll see with like a Chemex or a V60. And I'll do a 1 to 16 ratio of coffee to water pretty much always. And I might change that. Like I might taste it and be like, oh, maybe this wants more water. Maybe this doesn't. That's that's one of those things that 
again, going back to the scientific method, you have to start from a baseline. So, and then I'll usually do like a medium course setting and I'll usually just start there and then decide afterwards, do I want to change the grind setting after this? Um, so I'll do 30 grams of coffee to 500 grams of water. And when I'm brewing a Kalita, I'll try to aim for about like, I want to be done pouring my water at about between three minutes and three minutes and 30 seconds. And I want that brew itself to be done between three thirty and four. Yep. I'm uh, I'm similar. Uh, I, I'm a Chemex. I, I usually do 16 to one or 17 to one. Um, I use a Barazza Encore and I go on the 19 grind. I use the 20 on mine. Pour- so there we go. Yeah. 1920. And I also try to hit about three minutes uh, and let's go back to what you said about the variables, because I think it's smart. And when you're looking at coffee and your your setup for pour over, you know, you've got your grind setting, you've got your water, you've got your brewing device. Those are pretty consistent variables. The one variable that often changes is the actual coffee. And so for me, that's the unlock. That, that unlocked coffee for me when I had my setup. But then I started like getting blends from random places or I started getting wonderful single origins mailed and I paid a little bit and you so taste the difference. Like, right. Like I cannot understate it. You so taste the difference. Absolutely. So coffee is always going to be like your tea bended variable, right? Like you're not going to, once you buy a bag of coffee, like that doesn't change, right? So you're really just manipulating the other variables around it to get as much flavor from that coffee as possible. And you're absolutely right. Like I can't overstate like how beautiful it is to have a beautiful coffee from like Ethiopia, for example, like, and getting the flavor out of that super, and this is a very delicate, uh, coffee. Generally, Ethiopian coffees tend to be very floral, very Jasmine, like, um, maybe some like very, very subtle citrus, soft notes, almost perfumey, but not in a bad way. Uh, I should state that. Um, and being able to like, un- is this naturally processed or, or washed, washed, washed. naturally processed coffees yeah. tend to taste to me. And this is, this is a very, very general Uh, so take it, take it for a grain of salt. Uh, naturally processed coffees tend to taste like very funky and very fruity in really, really beautiful ways. Um, especially naturally processed coffees from Ethiopia. Ethiopia does do a lot of naturally processed coffees. Um, and for me, I know that I've written about this before. Um, naturally processed coffees from Ethiopia are oftentimes the gateway for many people to experience the beautiful variety that's within coffee because naturally processed coffees are so po- like potent in a really like potent doesn't seem like the right word. Cause that seems negative and I don't no, mean it's, it it's, that way. It's such a great point. I, I, I think naturally processed is a gateway, right? It is to thinking that coffee doesn't have to be what you expect. It's totally, it's, it's some, similar to natural wine, not to talk about a boring topic, like that. <laughs> not boring, but like a controversial topic. Um, it's not as simple, but I think naturally processed is going to get you into thinking about coffee in a different way. Because the flavors are just so transparent. Like you can, you can taste those fruit notes. Like you can smell it and it smells like fruit. And it's just like an easy way to get people taking to, to talk and taste about coffee in a way that maybe they haven't before because those those notes aren't as apparent in other coffees. On the topic of notes, you wrote something on the Boss Barista in, in your Substack and your newsletter that really struck a chord and we're working on a story. It'll probably be out by the time this airs. Um, and you wrote about the idea that, you know, Coffee is sometimes described in, in flavor notes, mm-hmm. uh, jasmine and chocolate and citrus, uh, bergamot, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, my understanding of coffee, and I've, I've learned from like Jeff Watts at Intelligentsia and others, it's not as it's not as dynamic as that. It's actually about one thing and one thing being sweetness. And I think you nail it because sweetness is so important. It, it kind of makes it simplifies what coffee should taste like and what it shouldn't taste like, right? I'm sweetness, yeah, the apparent the appearance of sweetness. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna push back a little bit on that because I've been doing Love a lot it. of research um, on this topic and there is something to be said about being able to describe a coffee and being able to say this tastes like this. And I've talked to a couple of people about why tasting notes even exist at all. And I think, and and go with me on this, this is, this is kind of a jump. I think tasting notes are an internal assessment tool that we have mistakenly put outward, if that makes sense. So it is a way for coffee people to talk to each other 
that we necessarily didn't think very smartly about how to give to consumers. So there's going to be a word that I use in this article um, that we use a lot in coffee, but is not, I don't think is often used outside of coffee. Um, The word is calibration. So when you have like a room of people all tasting coffees together, and this happens a lot in coffee, it's called cupping. It's how we evaluate coffee. It's how we taste and say like, this is a coffee we want to buy. This is a coffee that like, if I have a blend, let's say in a blend, has three different coffees in it. And one coffee is, let's say we ran out of it or it's old or like we just have to transition something else in. People will taste coffees and try to figure out that flavor profile for consistency that they want to kind of put in there. So these folks need to be calibrated to each other so that they can talk to each other and say like, if I taste green apple in this, are you experiencing my understanding of green apple? And how do we talk about that? And that takes time. Um, I did an interview with Morgan Eckroth. She's the U.S. barista champion, the current one right now. And I was even thinking about her interview in this because she performs. So so the barista competition is you're performing for four judges, four sensory judges, two technical judges. And the four sensory judges are drinking your coffees. And you have to describe to them what your coffee tastes like. Those judges go through a calibration process before you even see them. So they taste coffees as a baseline before they sit down and they talk about what that coffee tastes like so that those four judges, when they're writing notes to you, they are calibrated to each other. And I was like, this is a process that we do in coffee constantly. It's an important distinction. And and I think I've been in cupping rooms with professionals and that calibration moment is key. Um, And you really sharply point out that this internal dialogue should stay internal. Right. um, When as the end user, someone who just walks in off the street um, and wants to try a coffee from, you know, Colombia, a single origin, um, I feel personally I'd like to just know if you're if it's sweet, if this is a coffee that tastes sweet. I don't necessarily have that calibration, nor will I probably ever have it. So my question, too, then is what is sweetness in my because I have my opinion of what sweetness is. It certainly isn't what many, I think, believe the term sweetness means. It has nothing to do with like adding sugar to anything. So explain the term sweetness. So sweetness is really hard in coffee because coffee is the flavors in coffee are all competing against each other. Right. So like the overwhelming flavor in coffee is bitterness. There's, I'm going to say these, these acids wrong, but there are a bunch of different acids like quinic acid, chlorogenetic acid that tastes bitter to us. And I was talking to, uh, a Q grader, uh, Q graders are people kind of like sommeliers of coffee. They're like certified to taste coffee. Um, and part of the process of being a Q grader is like almost like a universal calibration that all of these people who go through this certification process are calibrated to each other. And I was talking to a Q grader who does, um, like she does instruction work. Like she actually like sets up these tastings and protocols for people so that they can pass their certifications. And she was saying to me that like, we make solutions, we make these water to like tasting solutions of like sweet, sour, and salty. If I put two grams of salt into a solution, you can taste the saltiness in that. To get that equivalent level of sweetness, she has to put in almost eight times as much sugar. Yeah. Right. So, and that's because as humans, like sugar, we we want sugar. We are programmed to like sugar. We're programmed to seek out sugar. But on the converse, we're not, we're programmed to use things like bitterness as a way to say like, Ooh, that's scary. I don't like that. Or Ooh, that's scary. That's poison. Like that's still like this very like visceral, like primal thing that we're programmed to do. So sugar is often something that we have to work a lot harder to find because we're not programmed to be afraid of it. So in coffee, that's really hard to find because of that. Um, so that's kind of what I've been finding as I've I've been interviewing people and talking about sweetness and coffee and why it's so complex. It's because like we're not really supposed to we're we're not really supposed to be like we have no alarm set for it. You know what I mean? Like we have no like programming saying like go be away bye bye like you're, you're poison. Yeah, and 
I think when I think of sweetness, I love what you just said about this idea that we have to, uh, you know, transcend uh, bitterness to get to sweetness, and it certainly is not natural to us. And I think of sweetness as the appearance of uh, appearance of sucrose on the on the palate. Uh, it's like it opens up. It's like desire. Like you just get to you get you taste a coffee, and it's like pure desire versus astringency and burn. And like so, you go to a diner. No offense to diners, but you will often get a coffee that's low quality, over extracted, burned, potentially, et cetera, et cetera. And it's quite quite bitter. But if you have a really, if you hit a moment with a with a you know Ecuadorian coffee that has just wonderful inherent sweetness, and you've brewed it properly, it's like desire, right? And like it's like wow, that coffee is amazing, right? And it's hard to coax it out of the coffee. Like coffee does have delicate acids and sugars that are developed during the roasting process. But as you take that roast further, like let's say like, you know, everyone's seen coffee beans that are like pretty and light brown versus coffee beans mm-hmm. that are like dark and oily and like kind of look like <laughs> shiny. Yeah, and shiny. And those coffees <laughs> have often had most of their sweetness roasted out or have like their sugars break down or something like that. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure on the science on this. Um, and I'm not sure at what point that that exactly happens, probably after like first crack, which is like, you can hear coffee popping, which is a really exciting process. Um, but yeah, first crack is cool. I love that term. Yeah. It's a uh, first crack is, a uh, is, is, is often all coffee will usually get taken to first crack. And usually that takes between like 10 to 14 minutes when you're roasting on a coffee. It, it depends. Again, this is like, I'm not a roaster. So this is me kind of generalizing. And usually most coffees that you're drinking now, if you're going to a specialty coffee shop at all, you're probably drinking coffees that are dropped anywhere between like a minute to like two minutes after first crack. And then when you get like those darker roasted coffees, they're usually taken a little bit further out after that. Um, there's even a thing called second crack, which is like not good. Like you don't want a coffee after that because that usually means that the coffee has been burned. But but speaking of that, coffee um, coffee can get burned. There are things in coffee that can get burned. There's a thing called the Maillard reaction, which if you've ever had toast, toast goes through a Maillard reaction where the sugars like in the, I hate, I hate when I talk about science sometimes cause I'm like, am I getting the science right? Um, but there are sugars. Sounds good to yeah, me. There are sugars in a coffee. There are sugars in toast. There are sugars like on like the surface of, of steak, for example, that get caramelized. And that's like the Maillard reaction happening. And those are the things like we want, like we desire that, like kind of like almost sweet, not quite burnt flavor, but like this transformation of sugars into something that's desirable. I think a brown butter personally, yeah. brown butter yeah. is like that a great through, example. That goes through my reaction too. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Speaking of uh, burning coffee and roasting coffee and, and roasting out profiles, I'd like to talk about espresso because I think th- it's, a, it's a topic that uh, we could go all day on and listener, thank you for sticking with us. So we This was an important conversation to have with Ashley and We'll have you back, Ashley, to talk more about coffee because I think it's so important. It is, it is, as you said, one of the second or maybe the most consumed beverage uh, in the world. And you likely have had coffee today or ha- maybe even have one next to you while you're listening to this episode. <laughs> but espresso is so embedded in our culture mm-hmm. when it comes to coffee uh, between Starbucks and your local roaster and, you know, at-home espresso uh, and then, of course, all the, the milk-based drinks that – uh, espresso is built around. A lot of people in coffee don't really like it. They think it takes the art out of the roasting of the coffee. It takes the farmer out of it. It, it evaporates any of that work done with the agriculture when you're when you're making this coffee so specific and so uniform. But of course, there's great espresso, and you can go to a fine shop like Cafe Grumpy and get incredible espresso. And have that moment of, wow, that's a great espresso. But my point is, is that espresso is not necessarily doing what pour over or urn brewed coffee is doing. True. I'm really curious to know who's hating on espresso, but I get where you're coming from. So like, let's look at like espresso kind of like globally. So like, if you go to it, like, I think probably like the ire of every barista is that person who comes into your coffee shop and is like, I had the best espresso I've ever had at a gas station in Italy. And I want to be like, no, you didn't like you didn't, you had a great espresso because you were in Italy and it's beautiful <laughs> and it's 8am and you're in Times Square and this is awful. Like that's why you had the best espresso of your <laughs> life there. Um, 
And there's actually like a lot of really interesting history about the relationship to Italy and espresso and the price points it's specifically supposed to be served at. It's a lot to do with like rations and World War II and stuff like that. And it might be be why uh, there are issues with quality there. But when you think about espresso in Italy, a lot of times it's a very, very darkly roasted coffee Um, And it's done that way so that it's consistent, right? Like if I roast the coffee to like the nth degree, like I don't, I won't taste any of the terroir in there. I won't taste any of the inherent loveliness of the coffee itself, but I know what it's going to taste like. Like I know exactly what it's going to taste like. So I can conserve a consistent beverage every time. Um, Again, going back to natural wine, which is like a boring analogy or whatever. Um, Natural wines kind of conceit though, is that like, the grapes do what they do and they taste how they taste. And to an extent, lighter roasted coffees kind of celebrate that, right? Like the coffee grows and we try to roast it to like coax out the flavors naturally inherent in it. But like we let the coffees do their own thing. Um, and so I can. S- you And you you, pri- you price to water, you price the farmer. Right. And the actual process that is being uh, being done at the agriculture level level and how the washing stations are actually clean and, and well-maintained. And that, that whole thing gets kind of voided with espresso because espresso is being brewed under high pressure too. And so that takes out flavor profile as well. So, sometimes, like, but not all the time, especially if you use like a, a lovely light roasted espresso. I think it's just like something that I think Um, often gets forgotten is that espresso is not like a type of bean. It's not like a roast profile. It's not, it's not anything. It's literally just like a brewing process. It's it's just a method and it's a method that uses pressure. So you will taste some of the effect of that brew method, maybe a little bit more potently than you would in like a pour over. So like one of the ways that I try to think about this, and this is not a one-to-one analogy, but it's like drinking whiskey straight or drinking whiskey neat versus like putting an ice cube in it or putting like a dollop of water in it. And one of the reasons that people do that is to kind of like extend the flavors out, like space them out a little bit. And that's kind of what you get with pour over. Like the flavors are spaced out a little bit more and you can kind of taste them a little bit more like nuancedly. Nuancely is not a word, but that's fine. But like you can taste nuanced, you, yeah, yeah. But like you can taste them kind of spaced out a little bit more because there's a little more space for them to kind of grow and explore. With espresso, they're a lot more concentrated. They're like that whiskey that you're getting neat, like they're very tightly compact, um, and you're getting some of that intensity of that drink itself contributing to what you're tasting. So not only are you tasting these very tightly compacted flavors, but you're also tasting the experience of like. This was brewed under high pressure. So there's this crema. It's like thick and viscous versus drip coffee. So there's kind of that aspect playing there too. But as you were saying, like espresso is great. Like, and if you, you can use any coffee you want for espresso, there's, um, there's a term I actually just learned. It's called omni roasting where people will roast their coffees the same for both drip and espresso, which I think is a really interesting way to think about coffee. I think Yes Please is doing omni roasting. Probably. They're, they're oh, I'm trying sure. To, to There's no way. That. There's no way Tonks isn't doing stuff like that. He's he's yeah, he's yeah. really smart and he's really awesome. He's a really really interesting coffee buyer. Um but the idea is that like these coffees are going to taste great both ways. They're going to taste different, but they're going to taste great both ways. So I'm not hating on espresso, just to be clear. <laughs> I, I, I thought I, I thought I did a good job of setting up, but I, I don't think I did. I I'm I'm only saying when you are only having like the big box espresso moments Um, like at Starbucks, which Starbucks is great. And I don't think we need to get into why the million reasons why Starbucks is great for specialty coffee and for the, you know, the progression of coffee in our culture. Um, I'll link to an article uh, about Starbucks uh, and maybe we can talk about it at at a later episode, Ashley. But I do think that Espresso can be incredible and express terroir. It just is like a very different totally. experience to the pour over. Totally. And I think you're right. You're, I think you're right to identify that like if you go to a big box place, like if you go to a Starbucks or if you go to like a Dunkin' Donuts or anything like that, like you lose a lot of like the quality and the inherent kind of beautifulness. Um, so go to your local specialty coffee shop, everyone. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, you know, go to a place that has a menu that has actually more than one coffee served. And I think I got in, got interested in coffee um, from the journalism side and the writing side because uh, it did 
unlock a whole world when I started thinking about terroir and thinking about regionality and thinking about hemispheres and seasons and seasonality. It's such a cool topic to talk about. I just, I think coffee is, is like forever, I'm a, forever will be a student of coffee. I'm so alive. Ashley Rodriguez, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you for having me. The Taste Podcast is hosted by me, Matt Rodbard. It's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>